listening to audio from Faith Church, located on the north side of Indianapolis. If you'd like to check out more information about our church and ministry, please visit faithchurchindy.com. There is one bit of business that I'll start here. Uh, Anne-Marie Shambaugh is going to have a Faith Stories cookout uh, August the 21st. That's Sunday, two weeks from now. Uh, at her house. I'll, I'll pass around a sign-up sheet here. You can sign up if you want to join with that group meeting at 6 in the evening at her house. So uh, feel free to sign and uh, pass it around to the tables that don't, haven't had it. I was, uh, I was thinking of uh, trying to wing it on the introduction today because I've known Brian and Jane now for all of nine months, but I think I'll stick with the script. <laughs> we'll learn together. Uh, Brian and Jane have been, uh, Groyle have been here attending Faith Church since September 2021. He and Jane have been married for 41 years, have a son, daughter, and grandson. Brian and Jane sing in the choir. Uh, recruitment note here, if you're interested, we'll be starting rehearsals in about uh, two months. Uh, and they lead a community group. Jane's also, you may have noticed, become the church's new uh, administrative assistant. Brian has intentions to be an amateur astronomer, fascinating to me, and has interest in learning pottery. I think thus the uh, invitation to share some of your uh, hobbies that uh, you may not have shared with other people. So we look forward to hearing uh, Brian's story. Let's pray together before we start. Well, thanks again for uh, the challenge of worshiping together, of remembering you through communion, and then being reminded of what uh, our righteousness should be, uh, especially in private. Help us to live out our faith as we'll hear this, mor this morning, uh, to be willing to and able to share what we've learned about you through our lives. So give Brian wisdom as he shares and give us listening ears in Jesus' name. Amen. Brian. Thank you, Phil, and thank you all for, for being here. I thought I would start out by sharing a passage of scripture that sort of encapsulates um, the main, one of the main ideas of, of my uh, faith story this morning. And it comes from Isaiah chapter 55, uh, verses 8 and 9. It says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. This morning, I'm going to share with you some snapshots from my life where the Lord guided me in unexpected ways to lead me along the path that he wanted me to take. I'll start with my childhood, share how I came to faith in Christ as a teenager, and take you to the present day. I was born in Sheboygan, Wisconsin, the oldest of four boys. My father was a postal clerk, and my mother worked in a foundry and at a shoe company before going into real estate. We were raised Catholic because my dad's parents were Catholic. It was sort of a hereditary religion, if you know what I mean. My mom converted to Catholicism when she married my dad. We seldom actually went to church on Sunday, but I was herded through all of the steps of becoming a good Catholic going to catechism class, having my first communion, making confession at church, and ultimately being confirmed. These just 
seemed like meaningless rituals to me. I, I didn't understand that it was possible to have a personal relationship with God. As a young teenager, my relationship with my dad began to deteriorate. It seemed like he was always yelling at me about something, and sometimes he would slap me around a bit. I spent a lot of time in my bedroom studying. That was my safe place, and doing well at school meant everything to me. It was the source of my self-worth. I was an excellent student, and I was proud of that, but sometimes I didn't measure up to my own expectations, and my self-esteem would take a real hit. There had to be more to life than this. I started hanging out with a guy named John who was a bit wilder than I was, but I enjoyed spending time with him. Sometimes we got into a little mischief, but what we mostly wanted was to meet some girls. Of course, that seldom if ever happened, so we would usually end up at the local bowling alley shooting pool. One night, out of boredom, having failed again to meet any girls, we decided to walk down the block from my home to the local Campus Life Teen Center. We heard that they had Bible studies, and we chuckled at the thought. We decided that night that we were going to crash their party. As we opened the door to the building, I said semi-seriously, who knows, John, maybe we'll never regret this. That had to be the biggest understatement of my life. As we looked around the large meeting room, we recognized several people we knew, all appearing to have fun, and we were not. The Saturday night event had actually just finished, and they were just standing around talking. Uh, but we were introduced to the executive director and the club leader and invited to come to their next event in a few weeks. We couldn't wait to come back. <clears throat> John spent the night at my house, and we literally stayed up half the night trying to figure out what just happened. After John returned home early the next morning, I decided to go to the Mass at our neighborhood Catholic church. I bought a Bible at the little store inside the church. It was actually a Protestant living Bible, believe it or not, uh, the very kind that they used at Campus Life. I didn't know why I bought it. I just thought that I needed it somehow. John and I attended the next Saturday night event at Campus Life. It was a movie produced by the Billy Graham Association, as I recall. At the end of uh, the movie, the director talked for a few minutes and then gave an invitation to give our lives to Jesus Christ. I can still remember how he quoted Revelation 3.20 as he tapped on the microphone. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. I was all in, and so was John. As sophomores in high school, we both committed our lives to the Lord that night. A few weeks later, John moved with his family to Connecticut, and I never saw him again, though we kept in touch for a while. God had reached out to me when I wasn't looking for him, and he called me to himself. In Isaiah 43.1, the Lord says, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. Well, that call by God 
changed the narrative of my life. No longer was my worth dependent on my performance. I was a child of God, and that was enough. I had worth in his eyes. Now I had a new reason to strive for excellence in my studies. It was to bring glory and honor to God. It was for him, not for me. In Colossians 3, 23 to 24, it says, Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. Campus life played an instrumental role in discipling me and helping me to grow in the faith. I attended early morning Bible studies each week, went to weekly club meetings, and attended the bi-monthly Saturday night programs. My parents gave me permission to attend the local evangelical free church as long as I also attended the Catholic church. Um, so I was attending uh, two church services on Sunday mornings, at least, at least until I turned 18. All my close friends were people I had met at campus life or at the free church. I even got to know a few girls along the way. Which brings me to the campus life hayride in early October of my senior year. I had a date with Leanne that night to go to the hayride. Little did I know that I would be spending time that night with the girl that would eventually become my wife. But it obviously wasn't Leanne, it was Jane. <laughs> Jane Plopper from Oostburg, Wisconsin. Long story short, Leanne wanted to sit quietly on the side of the hay wagon and just be together as the wagon moved slowly through the field. Meanwhile, hay battles were going on all around me and I just couldn't help myself. I, st I started frantically throwing hay at a nearby girl I knew. Then suddenly, this beautiful, blue-eyed girl with curly blonde hair came out of nowhere, that's, that's Jane, uh, and, and, a, and started to retaliate on her friend's behalf. We engaged in battle for several minutes, and when the dust settled, I looked around, and my date was nowhere to be seen. <laughs> I can't say that I minded. It gave me a chance to get to know Jane better. And before the night was over, we had exchanged senior pictures. Now that's moving quite along, isn't it? Uh, and, and we made arrangements, believe it or not, for a date the next night, which was to uh, see the movie Monty Python and the Holy Grail. <laughs> the rest, as they say, is history. Jane and I dated throughout the rest of our senior year. During our first year of college, we continued our relationship long distance. I went to Northwestern University in Evanston, Illinois, and Jane went to an extension of the University of Wisconsin in Sheboygan. We spent a lot of money on long distance phone calls and stamps for letters that year. There was no such thing as cell phones back then. Um, after a few months, it was clear that we either needed to be at the same school or we should go our separate ways. Um, we weren't going to do this for four years, no way. So we both applied to Wheaton College in Wheaton, Illinois, and transferred there at the beginning of our sophomore year. That turned out 
to be a very important decision in my life. It not only allowed me to be close to Jane, but it also gave me the opportunity to take science classes and Bible and liberal arts courses from Christian professors. Very early on, I began to wrestle with how science, especially biology, interacts with the Christian faith. My professors walked alongside me as I engaged in this struggle, and they helped me to see that there really isn't a conflict at all. All truth is God's truth, as the Wheaton philosopher Arthur Holmes would frequently say, conveying an idea that was originally found in the writings of Augustine of Hippo. One could be a faithful Christ follower while also pursuing mainstream science. I began dreaming about the possibility of teaching biology at a Christian college or university someday. Jane and I were married on May 30th, 1981, five days after graduating from Wheaton with bachelor's degrees. That also happened, by the way, to be zip code day in Sheboygan, Wisconsin, 53081. We spent two years in Columbus, Ohio, where I worked on a master's degree in botany at Ohio State University, while Jane worked as a waitress at a local restaurant and served on the staff of Youth for Christ. After that, we moved to St. Louis, where I entered a PhD program in molecular biology at Washington University. Our first child, Nathan, was born in September of 1984, only a year after I started my PhD program. And our daughter, Amanda, was born about a year and a half after that. I know that my research advisor was a little concerned at first that having children would hurt my productivity uh, in the lab. He even rolled his eyes when I told him that Jane was pregnant with our first child. But he saw how hard I worked in the lab, and I was getting good results. In a typical day, I would work in the lab from about 8.30 a.m. to 6 o'clock p.m. Jane was an assistant manager at a Christian bookstore and would pick up the kids in daycare after work and then swing by to pick me up at school. After having dinner and playing with the kids for a few hours before they were tucked into bed, I would go back to the lab at school so that I could do another experiment, staying there until about 1 o'clock or 2 o'clock in the morning. This rat race was hard on both of us, especially Jane. A sizable chunk of Jane's earnings went toward childcare, and my monthly stipend as a graduate student was fairly modest. We were getting by, but just barely. The frustrating thing for us is that we were not even happy with the childcare situation for our children, and our son was beginning to experience night terrors, which suggested there may be a problem with how he's being treated we immediately started looking at other options for childcare. Finding none that we could afford, God gave us a better plan. Jane quit her job at the bookstore so she could stay at home with our kids. We didn't know how we were gonna make ends meet, but we knew God would provide. We claimed the promise in Philippians 4.19, which says, and my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Shortly thereafter, Jane decided to start a home daycare business in our home, while also caring for our own children. And she obtained 
all the appropriate licensing to qualify for government subsidies as, as a child care provider. God really honored this step of faith and answered our prayers above and beyond our hopes and expectations. Not only did we no longer have to pay for child care, but her gross earnings from caring for other children were actually greater than what she had been earning as the Christ, at the Christian bookstore. As it turned out, Jane's childcare business was very attractive to a few local physicians who were willing to pay a decent price to have their children cared for in a small group setting by someone who had a bachelor's degree in Christian education. I was able to help out by keeping the books and plastering advertisements for her business all over the bulletin boards in the hospitals adjacent to the medical school campus where I worked as a graduate student. As I immersed myself in my dissertation research, I realized that I liked research and was actually pretty good at it, or at least I thought I was. I began to wonder whether I should pursue a research career at a prestigious university rather than teach at a Christian college. After all, Washington University is a fairly prestigious university in its own right. And my research mentor had a good pedigree. His PhD mentor was Walter Gilbert at Harvard University, who won a Nobel Prize for discovering a method for sequencing DNA. His postdoc mentors at the University of California and San Francisco were Harold Varmus and Michael Bishop, who shared the Nobel Prize for discovering cancer-causing genes called oncogenes. Surely my mentor would win the Nobel Prize too someday, and maybe that would rub off on me somehow. Actually, one of his collaborators, Charlie Rice, did recently win the Nobel Prize for work they did together on the hepatitis C virus. This prize was awarded in 2020, just a few years after my PhD mentor passed away. In any case, I was beginning to have delusions of greatness as a future hotshot researcher and began to aggressively look for a postdoctoral fellowship as I approached the end of my PhD program. I finished my PhD in September of 1989, and a few months later, we packed up all our belongings and our two children, who are now age five and three and a half years old, respectively. And we headed to Toronto, Canada. I accepted a, a postdoctoral fellowship in the laboratory of Janet Rossent at the Samuel Lunenfeld Research Institute at Mount Sinai Hospital in Toronto. Dr. Rossent is a world-renowned scientist in the field of mouse embryonic development. The focus of my project was to try to clone novel genes for transcription factors that were involved in the development of the placenta. The work was slow, and to be quite honest with you, it did not go well. I did discover a new transcription factor gene, but I wasn't able to get a complete copy of the gene, only a fragment of it. And it didn't appear to be involved in placental development. Then a disaster happened. Another research lab took information I had presented at a research conference and used it to pull out a full-length copy of the very gene I had discovered. They published their results in a scientific journal. It turns out 
the gene is expressed in the, in the testis, not the placenta. They named the gene sperm one. I was scooped. That's, that's the word they give when someone publishes the work you're working on before you get to publish it. Now, now I would never be able to get credit for discovering this gene. This just added to the overall misery I was experiencing doing full-time research as a postdoc. Clearly, I was not as gifted at research as I thought, or at least my situation in this lab did not help to facilitate my success. At the same time, I had something else going on in my life that was very gratifying. Shortly after we moved to Toronto, we were asked to lead a new Sunday school class at our church for young married couples with children. We called our class Family Focus, which is a variation of the name Focus on the Family, an organization that had become very important to Jane and me as we raised our own children. I truly enjoyed developing my own Sunday school curriculum and teaching the class on Sunday mornings. Jane and I worked as a team to plan social events for the class and to minister to the needs of the class members. In the process, God used us in ways that we could have never anticipated in this class and at the church. We were excited and blessed. The combination of the negative postdoc experience and the positive Sunday school teaching experience helped get me back on track with the idea I first had as an undergraduate to pursue a career in Christian higher education. As I said goodbye to my postdoc mentor on my last day in the lab, she felt led to say, you'll never be a research superstar, Brian. Bam! The words stung, but I, I knew she was right. By that time, I had long shed my delusions of greatness as a hotshot researcher. And deep down, I knew that this was just God's way of telling me he had something else for me. Applying for teaching positions in the US at primarily undergraduate institutions while at the same time working as a postdoctoral fellow at a research institute in Canada was not easy. No secular or Christian liberal arts colleges were taking me seriously. A provost at one Christian college even suggested that I was pursuing a career in teaching as a sort of booby prize because I couldn't do what, I, what he thought I really wanted to do, which was to do research. Finally, I was successful at getting a seven-month-long seven sabbatical replacement faculty position at Austin College in Sherman, Texas. Once I got that position, the floodgates opened, and I started getting job interviews all over the country. I guess schools finally believed that I really did want a teaching position after all. My heart's desire was to teach at a Christian college or university, but I wasn't offered any position at those schools. I ended up accepting a position in the biology department at the University of Scranton, a Jesuit university in Scranton, Pennsylvania. The University of Scranton gave me a great opportunity to learn how to teach, mentor students in the research lab, and serve as an academic advisor. It also gave Jane a great opportunity to pursue a master's degree, tuition-free because she was my, 
my wife and I worked at the university. She, she pursued her degree in human resources administration. While also, I might add, working a full-time job and sharing household and parenting duties. Th this was clearly God's provision and it had a major impact on Jane's earning potential and the future jobs that she had. After four years at the University of Scranton, though, I, I was getting a bit restless. It wasn't a good fit for me long term. About that time, a position opened up at John Brown University in Siloam Springs, Arkansas. I was offered the job before the series of interviews was even completed. The lab facilities in the science division at JBU were not particularly good, though, and I was offered about $10,000 less per year than I had been making at Scranton. Was this really the promised land that I had been waiting for? I needed time to think and pray about it. And during that time, the Lord independently spoke to both Jane and me through a passage of scripture in the first chapter of James, the book of James, um, in, in, in a passage, verses 5 to 8, it, it says to, to ask God in faith for wisdom. And we did that. And, and we were convicted by verse 9, which says, but the brother of humble circumstances is to glory in his high position. Money is not everything. It was time to take another step of faith and trust that God would provide for the needs of our family while also helping me to adapt to the less than ideal lab facilities for teaching at JBU. The decision to move to Siloam Springs, Arkansas was confirmed when I was one of several people who were asked to read a passage of scripture in church. The passage I was initially assigned to was John 9, 11, where Jesus commanded a blind beggar to go to Siloam and wash. The organizer of this part of the church service is still not sure how that verse got assigned to me because that isn't the verse he wanted me to read, and it wasn't the verse I ended up reading. No one was supposed to read that verse. And I just smiled and thanked the Lord for giving me that special message of confirmation before we embarked on our move to Arkansas. And boy, does God ever have a sense of humor. <laughs> Within a few years after I started working at JBU in January of 1998, the university announced that they were beginning a capital campaign to, fu to fund the construction of a new science building. Yay. The science division was asked to begin meeting with an architect to design the new building, and I was able to play a significant role in the design of the labs in the biology department. Around the same time, the chair of the science division announced at a division meeting that he wanted me to lead the development of a pre-health professions program at JBU. I was completely taken by surprise because he never even talked to me about it before making that announcement. Nevertheless, I willingly accepted the responsibility, trusting God that he would equip me with every good thing to do his will, as it says in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 21. We did, in fact, develop a very good pre-health professions program at JBU, and I led it for over 20 years. It was a real privilege. 
It helped a lot of students gain entrance to medical school and other health-related professional schools, and it was an effective tool for recruiting new science majors. I loved teaching courses in cell biology, genetics, molecular biology, developmental biology, and bioethics at JBU. I also enjoyed mentoring individual research students, and I had about 50 of them during my teaching career. Nearly all of these students went on to medical school or graduate school after graduating from JBU. I even had the opportunity to write research grants, bringing in over $600,000 to fund my research efforts. Most of that work I did with students was presented at research conferences or published in a scientific journal. In 2010, I received the Research Mentor of the Year Award at JBU. That was the year that I was finally successful also in getting appointed as chair of the Natural Science Division and chair of the Biology Department. I had thrown my hat in the ring twice before but was not selected, but the third time was a charm. Now I would have an opportunity to develop my administration skills, and God must have felt I was finally ready to take on those tasks. Taking on the role of, di of division chair while teaching the equivalent of three courses was actually a huge undertaking, but I was ready. Barely two months into the job, though, I was called into the VP's office because he wanted me to add yet another responsibility to my plate. He wanted me to do a feasibility study for a nursing program at JBU. This had been attempted two times before and never went anywhere. What did I know about nursing? Well, nothing. I didn't exactly have a choice, though. The VP needed me to step up and do this thing. Again, I had to ask for God's grace to equip me for this task. I made a decision early on that if I was going to do this, I would try to write the feasibility study in such a way that it could be used for decision-making at JBU and also be submitted to the Arkansas State Board of Nursing for approval if JBU, in fact, decided to move forward with that plan. That turned out to be a strategic decision. I won't bore you with the details, but I will tell you that this was one of the hardest projects I have ever worked on, and it took me nearly two years to complete. I encountered many roadblocks along the way, including dealing with the University of Arkansas who did not want us to start a nursing program, and they tried everything to interfere with that. The feasibility study sailed through all of the decision-making bodies at JBU and was approved with flying colors by the State Nursing Board. A few days later, the university announced that a major donor had come forward with a $6 million lead gift to fund the construction of a new nursing building, all because we could have a nursing program. A year later, we were enrolling students who wanted to major in nursing, and it is now the top major in terms of numbers on the JBU campus, fully accredited. God equips us to do his will, and he gets all the praise, glory, and honor. Flash forward to about six months prior to the announcement of the COVID-19 pandemic in 2020. 
At this point, I've been chair of the Natural Science Division for over nine years. JBU started having conversations about cutbacks in faculty and staff in order to address budget shortfalls due to declining enrollment in the previous few years. They were also concerned about a future enrollment cliff that was being talked about widely in higher education circles in the US and it was projected to hit within the next five years or so. These cutbacks would affect virtually every academic and administrative area on campus. As chair of the Natural Science Division, I joined other division chairs and deans in meetings with the academic vice president to make hard decisions about programs and services that could potentially be cut. What I didn't know about were the cards the VP was holding closely to his chest. He never told me in these discussions that the biology department would need to lose a faculty member, probably because I was the person he planned to cut loose. I was coming up on my 61st birthday, and when I turned 62, I would be eligible for early retirement. My overall student-teacher ratio was lower than others in the biology department, Never mind that I taught mostly upper-level biology courses and supervised internship courses that were populated by fewer enrolled students. From a productivity standpoint, I looked like I was the most dispensable, even though other faculty lacked expertise in most of the areas I taught. When I learned the news in early February 2020 that my faculty position would be eliminated, I was taken by surprise and I was absolutely devastated. How could they do this to me after all that I had given to the university? They said it was nothing personal. They said it was not about my performance. It was just a business decision. But it was hard not to take it personally. I wasn't ready to retire. I was planning to stay on for at least six to eight more years. What would I do next? I must admit that I was in a dark place for a few months as I processed all of this. Questions about my self-worth again raised its ugly head. Was JBU really being straight with me? Could it somehow have been about my performance as division chair or my performance in the classroom? Could it somehow have been about my relationships with colleagues or students? In many ways, felt like I had regressed back to my pre-Christian days as a 15-year-old where my self-esteem was completely based on the grades I was earning in school. I earnestly sought the Lord for help through prayer and reading his word, and he eventually pulled me out of that hole of despair. A passage of scripture became very meaningful to Jane and me during this time, and it is meaningful to us still. It's found in Isaiah 43, verses 18 to 19, and it says, Do not call to mind the former things or ponder things of the past. Behold, I will do something new. Now it will spring forth. Will you not be aware of it? I will even make a roadway in the wilderness, rivers in the desert. My first impulse was to begin applying for faculty positions at other colleges and universities. 
This wasn't easy amidst all the craziness and changes that were happening around the world in the early days of the pandemic or, or the extra work that was required to transition my teaching, uh, the, the teaching of my classes completely to online format. At the end of the spring 2020 semester, I stepped down as division chair but continued on as a full-time faculty member and chair of the biology department until December 2020. During the spring 2021 semester, I worked half-time at JBU at my request so that I could participate in job interviews and, and a few campus interviews. Um, or, at job interviews and make preparations for a likely move. I did have several Zoom interviews and I had a few campus interviews, but no job offers. With all these doors closed and after many hours of conversation and prayer with Jane, we decided to take a step of faith again and move to Indiana to be closer to our grown children and grandson. We trusted that God would continue to supply our needs and in his perfect timing reveal this new thing that he wanted us to do. Jane and I began the process of packing and getting our home ready to put on the market. We eventually decided that we would move to a northern suburb of Indianapolis and began to research the churches in the area. We looked at lots of websites and watched a lot of recorded church services online. And from the comfort of our living room in Siloam Springs, Arkansas, we decided that Faith Church in Indianapolis looked the best to us. So we made sure to visit it during our house hunting trip in July 2021. Our experience in person was even better than we expected based on our online experience. We loved the traditional service and we were bowled over by the welcome and the friendliness of the people. We started attending the church regularly in September 2021 when we moved to the area, eventually buying a home in Fishers. Slowly but surely, God is revealing the new thing he has for us. About a month ago, Jane started working part-time at this church as the um, office and executive administrative assistant. Um, she is talked about doing something like this ever since her job as HR director came to an end in Siloam Springs when her company folded in the fall of 2019. I remain retired, at least for now, but uh, two months ago I was asked to serve as president of the Affiliation of Christian Biologists by the leadership of the American Scientific Affiliation, or ASA, which is a, a Christian scientific organization that has been very near and dear to me over the years. The biology affiliate group has been inactive for at least 20 years and they needed someone with leadership experience, a background in biology, and a passion for exploring the harmony between faith and science to get this group up and running again. That's me. I just returned from the annual ASA conference in San Diego where I had the opportunity to begin casting a vision for what the affiliation of Christian biologists could be. Only God knows the future, but I'm confident that he will equip me for whatever work he wants me to do. Maybe someday I'll even have the opportunity to share at this church 
and at other churches about how God's two books, the book of God's word, the Bible, and the book of God's world, science, are not in conflict with one another, and how the study of both can draw us closer to our creator. Thank you very much. Questions?